0: This is the On the Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB
1: underscore SB Nation.
0: Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn.
1: Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 48 of the On the Banks podcast. Now. This is a special episode. It'll be a two-episode week. We'll still do our Game 5 Rutgers football preview, but we had to squeeze in our second emergency podcast of since, you know, the On The Banks podcast started. Now, if you remember months ago, we obviously did one when Eugene OMarui surprisingly transferred at 1 a.m., or announced his transfer at 1 a.m., and this is about another exit, but in a little different capacity. As you did not know already, Chris Ash, the Rutgers football head coach, has been fired, was fired right when really the team got back uh, from the Michigan game, and now John McNulty joined him along with that, and he's fired as well. And Nunzio Campanelli is now taking over as the interim head coach, and I believe, I'm sure we can all assume, that Pat Hobbs and the administration are underway in terms of finding a new head coach for Rutgers football. Just to remind you, there are many ways to listen to this episode and every episode of the On the Banks podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast and Stitcher, just search On The Banks Podcast, and you can find all of our podcasts and so much more content by going to onthebanks.com. So there's a lot to unpack, and I'm glad that I'll be joined by Aaron Brightman, our managing editor for On The Banks, to talk about really everything that's happened within the last hour, maybe the last hour and a half of the Chris Ash firing. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me, and it's been a really busy and kind of a whirlwind last 90 minutes for Rutgers football.
0: <laughs> I was literally mowing my lawn on a beautiful Sunday, and uh, yeah, I started getting the messages coming in, and uh, you know, I, I, I was asked about it yesterday after the game, you know, do you think Rutgers is going to pull the trigger now, and honestly, I, I did not think it was going to come today, uh, I'm a little shocked in the sense of that, to be honest, this is a big-time move, uh, in terms of being a Big Ten athletics Department. And I'm thrilled that Rockford did this now. Um, But I am surprised because this this was not, um, you know, this is not how they've operated in the past. Uh, And, you know, Hawk has been real adamant about um, not making moves in the middle of the season. But I think it got to a point where. Um, you know, the program is in crisis, as, as we talked about uh, last week on the podcast and I wrote uh, over a week ago, uh, calling for Ash to be fired. So I think obviously this is the complete right move. Um, I think after yesterday's disaster, um, it was just clearly apparent that, uh, you know, H- Ash could not continue, I think, with a home game this weekend. Things would have gotten really, really ugly had Ash still been on the sidelines, and I think this changes the narrative, obviously, and now, you know, there's a lot of speculation and
1: wonder about what's next for the program. Yeah, and that's now questions abound, right, because what is next for this Rutgers program, and first I want to start about yesterday, I want to start talking about yesterday, I was in Michigan, I was in Ann Arbor, I flew down for the game with a couple friends, and for me, I mean, everyone thought it was inevitable that Ash was going to be gone after the Boston College game because that's a team that you thought Rutgers could match up against and Boston College ended up winning by two scores. Going into this Michigan game, obviously, the, there was a lot of pessimism around uh, surrounding the program, uh, you know, a lot of negative thoughts, but you thought that, you know, maybe they could score seven, score 10, maybe even 14 points against Michigan, keep it somewhat competitive until late and, you know, at least be respectable. Uh, Yeah, at least looked like a a respectable program, excuse me. But when I went there and and I was watching the game and I was sitting in my seats in section 12, I saw one respectable program out there in Michigan, but unfortunately I did not see another. And, you know, the disappointing thing about it was, and and I mentioned this to a couple people after the game, and I want to hear your thoughts on it too, 78-0 78 nothing was bad obviously a couple years ago but that was Chris Ash's first year there were no expectations he was coming in he had to rebuild the program and and you know while it hurts to lose by that much it, at some po- at some point it wasn't too surprising but when you're in year 4 of a new head coach whoever that head coach is when you're in year 4 of that head coaching era you expect to be respectable and i think that's the word we're kind of getting at here respectable You want Rutgers or you expected Rutgers in year four of Chris Ash when he was hired to be at a level of Indiana, Illinois, Minnesota, Purdue, Maryland... To go into that game against Michigan, not necessarily win, but at least look like a program that can compete. You know, score points. Don't lose 52 to nothing. You know, maybe lose 42 to 17 or 35 to 10. But Rutgers went in there and was just embarrassed. And I say that 52 to nothing, although the score wasn't as bad, that 52 to nothing yesterday, I think, was so much worse than the 78 to nothing. At High Point Solution Stadium, or what was then High Point Solution Stadium, because again, no expectations in year one. They're not even close to being a respectable competitive program in year four, and I think that's the main reason why Ashers had to go.
0: Absolutely, completely agree, uh, and I think that was what was so discerning um, about this entire season. Really, the even though season opener at UMass, you know, coming in on such a critical season, a season in which the athletic director made it very clear significant improvement was needed, uh, and for Rutgers to go down 14-0 right away to ugly the worst FBS team, it just set the wrong tone right away, and uh, although they ended up winning that game, I think there were enough red flags to see, hey, you know what, this, <laughs> this season might be in trouble already, they went to Iowa, they a huge egg, showed nothing, It was a repeat of last year. BC, winnable game. They, you know, even outplayed BC at times in that game and uh, weren't weren't close to winning. You know, even yesterday, uh, they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. And they're they're not, you know, when you can't recruit and you can't develop players, well, you can't do much right. And I think, unfortunately, for Chris Ash, you know, he he wasn't able to ever, uh, I think, put it all together as a head coach. I think, you know, Years of experience, like we talked about, he had all the notebooks, you know, he had learned from a lot of great coaches, but I think he never adapted and understood that coaching players that aren't five-star talent is a lot different, and I think that, you know, he he never was able to get the most out of his players, and I think that was a big part of his failure, and I think that now, for Rutgers fans, you know, rather than, uh, you know, being hostile the rest of the season, being so upset and embarrassed, you know, it really is about the future now. And I think that's a positive, I think, from house perspective, it was smart to change the narrative now, uh, you know, going into really, you know, two-thirds of the season still to go. Um, and it will be very interesting to see how this team responds with Nunzio Campanelli as the interim head coach. I think that was a very smart move. I think, you know, I thought it was very interesting this offseason when they signed him to a two-year deal uh, with, you know, knowing going into this year that Ash might be gone after this season. So I think that, you know, uh, it, it shows that I think Hobbs has had a plan all along. I think that this isn't necessarily a surprise move from his end. I think he, he's uh, he's smart enough to have contingency plans and, and the plan ahead. And I think that this was always the plan. And uh, I think keeping a jersey guy, uh, you know, involved in the process, I think no matter who takes over, uh, is a very smart move. And I think the fans can get behind him the
1: rest of the year. And, you know, what really struck a chord with me yesterday, and we talk about coaching and how Chris Ash he had all these notebooks... And he learned from so many of these great coaches. It seemed like he never really got better as a coach. You think in year one, obviously the mistakes are going to be there. But as you grow as a coach and as a coaching staff as a whole, you're going to get better. And those mistakes that you made in your first year wouldn't be there in year four. But then there was a sequence of penalties in yesterday's game that really just kind of drove me up a wall. And that was they had three delay of games in the first half. And usually a team will have maybe one, maybe two delay of games in the entire game. But Rutgers had three of games in the first half and besides that they had two false starts on one punt play now it wasn't multiple punt plays it was one single play it was a false start and then a false start again and you know i'm not blaming players because these players aren't paid they are amateur athletes and they it's you know they play on based on how they're coached and those penalties to me were very indicative of how they're coached they 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 weren't coached disciplined enough they, they they weren't, you know, that, that discipline wasn't instilled in them. And, you know, as I said before, you usually have one or two delay game penalties, maybe per game. But to have three delay of games in the first half and to have two false starts on one punt play. And, and Rutgers, you think punting has been their strength so far? On one punt play, Rutgers had two false starts. It was just a complete embarrassment. And it showed that Chris Ash really never got better as a head coach from year one to now year four.
0: Well, I think a big adjustment that he never made was when you come from these top programs, you know, Ohio State, uh, even a Wisconsin to a degree, you know, there's a lot of delegation. Uh, The head coach really is a master delegator uh, and and communicates the plans, but there's, I would say, in certain respects, less hands-on You know, coaching from from the head coach. And I think that at a program like Rutgers, that can't really happen uh, because you you don't have the best athletes, you don't have the best players. And the head coach really needs to drive everything that's happening. And I think Ash ran the program, you know, and there were some positives to it. I think, you know, the program is certainly in better shape, I think, from a culture standpoint, uh, from when he, he got it. But at the same time, you know, I think that he was too hands off from a lot of things that I've heard. You know, it just doesn't sound like he ever was able to connect to the players and, you know, perhaps maybe even his coaching staff. I mean, there was a lot of turnover year over year and there's not, you know, you don't build continuity with that. And I think that that really hurts. I think that uh, that showed up and I think that's where you see continued repeated mistakes where there isn't a built-in consistency within what's being taught and what's being coached. And I think that that obviously falls on the head coach. And I think that Ash, you know, ultimately failed because he wasn't able to connect with his players and he wasn't able to really, you know, I mean, even last year, you know, the comment after a game, when he was asked about Pacheco, why he didn't get more carries. And he said, well, I'll have to talk to the offensive staff about that. I mean, honestly, when he said that, that's, that's embarrassing, that's, that's abysmal for a head coach to say that in a press conference. And to even think that that's okay to say that, it just shows that there was a major, major breakdown in terms of what the roles for responsibilities should have been.
1: And, you know, one thing that's obviously been a big critique of the Ash era has been the inability to find a quarterback. You look back on his first year, I believe it was Chris Laviano who may have started, and then Gio Roschino ended up taking over. I could be wrong about that, but I believe that's how that started. Then... Uh, you go into year two and it was Kyle Bolin. He obviously didn't last a full year. Gio Roschino took over again There were some spurts of jonathan lewis as well Then last year, you know art sitkowski obviously he struggled mightily Gio Roschino ended up starting I believe the last couple games or maybe the last game And then this year you started with McLean carter. He gets hurt So it's not you know the coach's fault. It wasn't bad play that that sat him down But still that inconsistency at quarterback was just year after year after year and if you can't find a quarterback, if you can't find the most posi- uh, important position in football, regardless of the level, it's going to be really hard to have success. And Chris Ashton, this offensive staff, regardless of who was the OC, whether it was Drew Merringer or John McNulty or uh, Jerry Kill, regardless of who it was, that offense really was never able to get going and was never able to really hit its stride if it had a stride because there was just too much inconsistency at the quarterback play.
0: Excellent point. And if you think about it, I mean, the Ash era was almost doomed from day one. I think uh, bringing in the offensive staff that he did was a terrible mistake. I think it was, um, you know, uh, in, in a way, Ash, I, I don't think that he necessarily – Uh, is cocky by nature, but I think it it came across as uh, a real inexperienced move uh, to think that you could bring in, you know, 220-something assistants, uh, obviously, you know, had somewhat good experience, but um, that we're going to be able to come in and turn around a Big Ten offense. And, you know, the the real thing with the offense and quarterback play over the last four years, which you kind of touched on, is that there was never a real identity. Uh, You can't keep changing year-to-year offensive systems and, and, and uh, I think that, you know, Toot uh, while, you know, he may go on to, I mean, he's won Recruiting Assistant of the Year since leaving Rutgers at Texas. Um, he'll probably go on to be a very, very good football coach, but he obviously was not ready at the time. And I think that, you know, really set back the program and in terms of just, you know, recruiting and who they brought in and what they had instilled. I mean, if you look at it, when Jerry Kill was uh, the offensive coordinator three years ago, it was the best offense they had, the best team they had. I think he brought a lot to the program. I think he really helped out Chris Ash, almost in a similar fashion to what Ralph Region did uh, with Kyle Flood in 2014. And I think it just shows that, you know, these, these older coaches that have experience, you know, they're, they're successful for a reason. And I think they understand all the details and everything that needs to go into it. And I think that, you know, changing so much, um, the details get lost. And I think that we saw that on the field. the last four seasons that's why you see continued mistakes uh with turnovers and penalties and just a lack of ability to make big plays and i think there's a certain nuance that has to come with learning a system teaching a system the repetition of it um and ruckers never established an offensive identity under ash and you know that's that's another huge reason for his failure although I did want to add in, I think one thing that gets lost in how poor the offense performed under Ash is how big of a disappointment the defense was in this time. You know, this is a guy that was a defensive coordinator for years, won a national championship, and the defense was, you know, maybe not as poor as the offense, but very, very poor overall. And they really had no identity either. Uh, they never pressured. They never, you know, brought an edge. And uh, it just seemed like a passive defense year over year. And ultimately, yes, the offense didn't do the defense favors, but, you know, with someone like a pedigree of Ash, you would have thought that the defense at this point would at least be, you know, have an identity and be kind of a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten defense. And as we saw this season so far, they're nowhere close to that.
1: And yeah, I mean, Michigan was really driving up and down the field on them yesterday, and the secondary in particular, Ash was a secondary guy. And the secondary has been, I think, one of the bigger disappointments so far in this season. I think one of the bigger surprises, look, we all believed it was inevitable that Ash was going to get fired. That's not too much of a surprise. But I think the biggest surprise of this whole thing was the letting go of John McNulty as well. Now, obviously, the offense, as we've talked about, hasn't been good it hasn't even been subpar it's been very bad the last couple of years under john mcnulty and we thought that maybe it was just because last year was his first year he had to get his system in place obviously the quarterback play didn't help and we thought that this year might be a little bit of a step up especially with mclean carter and while it looked like that in the umass game when they put up i believe what was it 48 points but you look at those games since then obviously no points against iowa um only 16 points or 14 points whatever it was against boston college and then now no points against michigan so You know, John McNulty, someone who I thought was going to be the interim head coach once Chris Ash got fired, is now no longer with the program either. And I think that was kind of the big surprise of all the news that kind of came out this morning.
0: Yeah, I think a little bit of a casualty of the situation. Um you know, I think that it's fair to be critical of mcnulty since he came back. Obviously, the most successful offensive coordinator in program history, uh, you know, back in 2006 to 2008. Obviously, the talent level wasn't nearly what he had back then. Uh, so, certainly a challenge. And I think, you know, uh, coaching under Ash certainly didn't do him many favors. Um, I was surprised when I news as well. But I guess, you know, it, it, if you think about it, 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 it does help send... Uh, a message to the program and to the team and to the fan base that real change is coming. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, appointing Nunzio Campanelli makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think, listen, he's a bright offensive mind in his own right. And I think it will be fascinating to watch this team moving forward the end the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately, listen, Mignotti, uh you know, I, I think that. Eventually I he, he started to show signs of you know with the game plan and um you know Sikowski obviously has looked better the last two weeks but I think it was also clear that this offense wasn't close to being a, a passable uh, Big Ten offense. And I think at this point, you know, you rip the Band-Aid off and you just you go for it. I think it also doesn't, um, you know, uh, impede whoever does become the next head coach um, in terms of having Mignolte still there. I think it, it a fresh start altogether. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it does send a message from Hobbs that, hey, you know, this real change is coming and... Uh, I think that keeping Nunzio on
1: the fold and appointing him in the long run makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I want to talk about Nunzio as we kind of discuss now what is going to happen going forward. I, You know, Nunzio, I think, is the plan for him, or in Pat Hobbs hopes that the plan is that he's a part of the staff long term because, you know, he's a guy who obviously has great New Jersey ties coming from Bergen Catholic. You mentioned it. He's a very bright, young, offensive mind. And I think making him the interim head coach, and like you said earlier, signing him to that contract extension uh, earlier, uh, in the year really kind of set off uh, messages that Nunzio is going to be here regardless of whether Chris Ash is here or not. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Nunzio Campanelli going forward. If, Whoever gets hired, do they make him the offensive coordinator? Is he a position coach? What happens maybe with an Anthony Campanelli? Do they try to reunite them? Obviously, Anthony at Michigan on the defensive side of the ball. But I think the Campanelli name at Rutgers, it's Pat Hobbs' goal for that name to stay associated with the university because it is so connected to to New Jersey as a whole.
0: It's certainly a smart thought. I think that, um, yeah, the Campanelli brand is, is, I think, an important one to keep in the fold of Rutgers. I think, you know, another big mistake that Ash made early on, I think, you know, was that, yeah, typically a coach comes in and clears house and hires their own staff, but I think getting rid of Anthony Campanelli was a huge mistake. Uh, obviously, he went on to, to have success at Boston College and is now the co-defensive coordinator at Michigan. Uh, so I think that you know he's he's been a, a very very good recruiter for a very long time. He's a very good coach. Um, so I think letting go of him and Jim Pagano's uh, both of those guys, uh, you know, Jersey guys. Pagano's has done very well at Temple ever since. Um, so I think you know, yeah. There's certainly, I don't think, you know, the whole New Jersey staff thing, I think part of that, you know, it doesn't have to be all Jersey-centric. But I think, yeah, you need a couple key guys on the ground floor that can get into to North Jersey and, 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 and make noise right away. I think New has quietly behind the scenes, you know, put in work. And the Rutgers has had, even despite Ash, had more success with the, the Catholic schools in North Jersey uh, as of late. Uh, obviously haven't nabbed any top talent, but um, still numbers-wise has done better in recent years than Rutgers has previously. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, I think it's very interesting, but is still in the fold, and obviously it depends on who becomes head coach, but uh, you know, I, I think the more that you can do with that, that family, uh, the better. I, I would love for Anthony to come back and, and perhaps even run the defense. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting moving forward to see what happens there.
1: Uh, again, Chris Ash fired this morning or earlier today uh, on Sunday as the head coach of Rutgers University, head football coach of Rutgers University, John McNulty, gone with him as well, and uh, Nunzio Campanelli taking over for the rest of the season or for the you know immediate future as the interim head coach. So Aaron, let's kind of figure out now what's next and who's next most importantly. You know, there are obviously a bunch of names out there that are being reported. Greg Schiano's one. Butch Jones is another, Jim Levitt is another one as well. And I'm sure names are going to start to come out more and more as the days go by. But I think this hire is just so huge for Rutgers to get the program back to respectability and to get them at a relevant level again, not in the negative as it has been in the last, you know, four or five years, but in the positive where maybe they pull off an upset, you know, maybe they start to show that significant improvement that we've been talking about for so many years. This hire is really going to make or break Rutgers, I think could make or break Rutgers for the next ten years more than the next five years because if you get a hire that doesn't work out, it sets your program back even more. But if you find that right guy again who can make that significant improvement and who can make that progress, then that'll really help bolster Rutgers going forward as they continue to try to climb up the Big Ten.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, to to the point we talked about previously, I think, you know, there's certainly more talent on the roster than than there was when Ash arrived. I think, obviously, facilities are in far better shape. Uh, You know, I think that the idea that You know, the fear of some Rutgers fans that, oh, my God, you know, no one's going to want to come here. I think that's completely false. Uh, I think that you know it's still gonna, it's a Big Ten job at the end of the day, uh, and obviously whoever does come here is going to have time to turn things around. Uh, I think you know uh, it really listen. Ash would have gotten five years if things weren't just a complete disaster. You know, no one expected miracles, no one expected championships. It is actually a job with low expectations. If you go six and six and go to a bowl game, at least for a few years, the Rutgers fan base is going to be thrilled. So I think that you know. It, the idea that people aren't going to want to come here is completely false. Uh, you know, obviously Greg Shiano's name has already been thrown out there for, for a few weeks now. Football Scoop reported uh, this afternoon that uh, – with source knowledge that you know he took, he left New England Patriots in the summer because of hopes of coming back to Rutgers. Uh, it sounds like he is obviously at the top of the list. Um, you know I think it's an interesting idea. I think that you know uh, I I do think the idea that he's the only one that could turn the program around is ridiculous. Um, I think you know a lot of competent coaches could come here and turn Rutgers around. But uh, I honestly think there, there's some intriguing positives of bringing Shiano back. I think with. You know, he, Hobbs has a decision to make, right? Because, you know, it's, it's not even October 1st yet. Uh, so, you know, you have the advantage now if you do make a move and hire someone now. They have two months to recruit and really uh, change the perception of the program off the field uh, ir- irregardless of what happens on the field the rest of the season. So I think that that is an advantage that he should jump on. And I think obviously Shiano is a natural fit for that type of, of addition. Um, I do think that, you know, he would bring instant credibility. He would bring, uh, you know, uh, immediate uh, excitement back from the fan base. I do think that he would raise the ceiling of the program long term. Uh, Excuse me, raise the basement of the program long term. I do think that the ceiling would be capped a bit. You know, I I don't know if he could come here and win a championship, but, I mean, to be honest with you, does that really matter today? I think that, you know, we we would be thrilled uh, with, you know, eight, nine win seasons middle of the pack, Big Ten, and annual bowl games right now. And I think uh, that should be the goal for now and be the expectation. And I think, obviously, someone like Shana makes sense. I don't think, you know, uh, it has to be him. I think that, you know, uh, Butch Jones is an intriguing choice as well. I think that, you know, he did have a nine-win season in Tennessee. Uh, He was very successful at his previous stops. He's a guy that, you know, was successful at Western Michigan. In uh, Cincinnati programs with a lot less resources and a lot less talent than a Rutgers would have. So I think that that is really positive and, and, a, and a, uh, something that Hop should look for in the next candidate. So I think those two names alone, I think that, you know, uh, that should, should at least uh, alleviate some fears that, hey, Rutgers isn't going to be able to get a qualifier. I've seen it all, all week. Well, who would Rutgers get? You know, you want to get rid of Ash, but who are they going to get? Well, those two guys would be instant upgrades for sure.
1: Now, Aaron. Before we wrap this up quickly, do you have a prediction? You talked a lot about Greg Gianotto. There, is, is he your prediction to get the job? You know, initial thoughts. Who who on, is on your mind right now uh, for the guy who's ultimately going to get it?
0: Well, I think you know. Uh, I I think that those two names right now should be the front runners. Uh, I think they're they're qualified. But I think again, it's all about timing right now. And you know, you're not going to get someone that's currently employed unless you wait until ended November early December and you know frankly I don't know if that really makes sense to do that uh, because you're wasting two months I think you know the recruiting class right now is ranked 89th uh, and you know if you add another recruiting class that is that far below big 10 level uh, that's gonna set you back even more so I think uh, you know adding a, a head coach right now, Uh, It changes, uh, I think, the perception of the fan base. It changes the attitude. It it changes the complete narrative. And then on the recruiting trail, most importantly, uh, it completely flips the script. Uh, You know, does Chiano have the same... Uh, does he resonate with recruits like he did 10 years ago? Maybe not, but I think with certain coaches and you know high school programs in New Jersey, have had the same head coaches for years. I think it opens the door very quickly, and I think that uh, you know I, I think it's hard not to call Shion the front runner right now. I think you know there's been a lot of smoke about it for a long time. Uh, and I think that, you know, as the, the old saying goes "Where there's smoke, there's fire." And I think, uh, you know, I, 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 certainly would say he's the favorite. I think Bush Jones is, is certainly a, a worthy candidate. Um, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't one of the two of them. So yeah, gun to my head, I, I, I do think this reunion is going to happen. I don't know if it's necessarily, I mean, there's certainly risk with that. Uh, you know, look at, uh, Uh, Edsel at UConn going back for a second time it's been a disaster uh but I think you know uh and I think Shiano's gonna have to if he does come back uh he'd have to adapt a little bit you know he can't be the same Greg Shiano he was uh when he was here I think um you know the times have changed a little bit the athletic department has changed I think that you know he needs to be uh a little bit more uh less rigid so to speak and I think that um if he's learned from it and motivated, obviously for his own legacy, I think he is. Uh, I think he never should have left. I think he knows that now. And it could it could end up being a, an amazing story. Uh, it's certainly a compelling one. Uh, and, yeah, at the end of the day, I think he will return.
1: You know, Aaron, I think we can definitely agree that the whirlwind at Rutgers regarding the football program has only just begun, and more information and more candidates are going to come out day after day until you know pat hobbs and administration finally settle on someone but there is still you know i believe eight more games to play (laughs) the season is still very very young um and a lot of rutgers football left but more and more is just going to come out about this open of this now open coaching position as yes chris ash has been fired Um, after the Michigan game earlier this morning. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me on this really emergency podcast on a very short notice as I just got off the plane um, uh, from Michigan. Thank you so much for joining me, and I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you taking the time.
0: Thanks so much for putting us together, and, uh, you know, you kind of let me uh, roll with that right there, but I want to do make it known that, you know, you you were uh, talking about Shiano a couple weeks ago as well, and and, uh, we're we're talking about the benefits of it, so I think that we both agree, and we both see it that way, and I think, uh, again, there is no such thing as a perfect tire, but I think uh, for the time uh, that we're in right now, you know, how low Rutgers is, uh, it does make a lot of sense, so... Um, you know, it's going to be a very interesting few weeks here uh, and hopefully a few years uh, that you know, Rutgers will ultimately become relevant again uh, in college football and, and relevant, uh, you know, for, for hopefully the long term in the Big Ten. Thank you for putting this together and thanks for having me once again. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks podcast.